testimony, another way of saying that is his life story. Um, You know, the Bible talks about the power of the testimony. Uh, The reason why it talks about the power of the testimony is because when something actually happens to someone, you really can't debate it. It's someone's experience, it's their story. And so there is a a great uh, energy and a great sense of of life that comes in hearing the reality check of someone encountering uh, God's miracle power. And so um, Pastor Mark Johnson, he is uh, currently uh, 2IC as a leader, so he's assistant pastor up in the uh, Mullaney Church on the Rise and the Sunshine Coast. Who here has ever lived on the Sunshine Coast? Yeah, great place to live, right? Uh, so uh, that's where Mark is residing now, a lucky guy. And uh, not, a, not a bad place to live on planet Earth, one of the most beautiful places to live. Um, the other thing too is uh, who you're about to hear from. Um, Mark also used to be the director of a ministry called Transformations. Um, and that is a, a powerful ministry which is involving taking people through a whole complete transformation of life, particularly people who've... Uh, uh, been addicted to drugs and been addicted to other things as well and taken through a whole transformation using the power of God and the Word of God to help them to turn their life around. And so uh, he led that ministry for a good couple of seasons. And uh, the other thing too is the testimony he's about to share with you today. He shared it in all different locations and all different seasons. Uh, but specifically one I wanted to let you know about is who here has heard of uh, Tim Hall or Tim Hall Ministries. Tim Hall is a very uh, well-renowned evangelist and who holds crusades around the world. And uh, uh, Pastor Tim invited Mark uh, to share his testimony at a crusade. There were 15,000 people at this crusade who got to hear uh, Mark share the same story that he's about to share with you today. And it completely impacted uh, those 15,000 people. And so who here feels blessed today that we're going to be impacted by... Uh, Pastor Mark Johnson's story, and I think like any any time when we come and we welcome someone who's a guest speaker in our church, we believe in honor at Forever House. So why don't we do the right thing? Let's stand and give Pastor Mark Johnson a huge Forever House welcome. Cool. Now while while he's up here. I want to quickly let you know that uh, Mark has a couple of books here available for you to um, get your hands on in terms of a resource. Uh, this first one here is called Marked by Mercy. Uh, both of his books are actually forwarded by Tim Hall. Um, Marked by Mercy, From a Life of Drugs and Crime to a Life Transformed by God. So that's that first book here, uh, Marked by Mercy. And then the second book, and this is the latest one, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah. This is the latest one. Renovation, it's called Kingdom Transformation. Who knows that God is into renovating people's lives? Come on, who likes those renovation shows? You know, where you see like the dribs and drabs and the doors falling off the hinge and then, you know, within it like, what is it, an hour? It's just looking amazing, right? We all love, we're attracted to transformation. It's just hard work doing it yourself, right? But Renovation, Kingdom Transformation by Mark Johnson. So um, today, uh, each book is $15 for purchase. Uh, but if you'd like to purchase both of them, uh, there's a package available for $25 uh, that Mark's offering today, okay? Um, did you want to let them know a little bit about um, one of these books or both those books? You want to start there? A lot of what I'm going to speak about today. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Pastor Brad. 
Yeah, Marked by Mercy, I found it very hard to find a title for this book, but I, I look at my story and I thought, well, my life has been marked by mercy. See, grace is undeserved favour, but mercy is getting what you don't deserve. I shouldn't be alive, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. Okay, so thank God for his mercy. Okay, that's my testimony. And this one here is about the word of God and about how I renewed my mind. And you'll know more about that, how far I've come, in a minute, all right? So I'm not going to plug that too much. But the other thing I just wanted to say too is that if there's anyone here today that's got no money and can't afford the books, they're yours for free. I want you to be blessed, okay? I want your life to be touched and I want your life to be turned on fire for God. How's that? Okay? And if that's also if you know someone that can't afford it as well, uh, I'd like to give them away. So bless you. Oh, thanks, mate. Well, I'm, I'm super-duper honoured to be here. There was two things that I never thought I'd do. Number two was ever coming into a church. <laughs> Number one was up at church speaking. <laughs> this is the last place I ever thought I'd be. And, uh, but, you know, it's a privilege to be here. And, yeah, I've had the opportunity to share my story uh, in front of thousands. And I had an open vision about that when I first went to church. That took 15 years to come to past. And what that says is that God is faithful. And I'm going to prophetically say something before I start. There's people here that God's going to restore your broken heart. That's number one. And I feel like, too, God's going to restore some people's hope this morning. I felt that in the spirit as I was at the front. I felt God's going to restore two things. People that feel they're broken and people's hope is going to get restored today, okay? So that's your hope. I just want to say thank you, Pastor Brad and Sarah, for inviting me to Forever House. Uh, I got super uh, like overwhelmed and joyful about coming here because I used to sit up the back there and half of my tribe's here, half of my family's in church today. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I just want to say thank you. Appreciate it, today. Eh? It's gold. <laughs> All right, I'm Aussie. <laughs> now, just, just to give you a bit of a background, my nan is Aboriginal, right? My pop's German, and Allah butter peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> Here I am, okay? I was born in Wilkenya. Who's heard of Wilkenya? Just for those who think it's in South Africa, it's not. <laughs> it's on the backside of nowhere. It's in the desert. Now, who's heard of Skippy the kangaroo? Well, that's where he lives. <laughs> well, that's where I was born anyway, okay? It's a predominantly Aboriginal uh, town. It's just outside of Broken Hill. And um, that's where I was born. That's where my mum grew up. And... Uh, I moved from there, apparently, to Sydney and different places. So from the age of zero to eight, I don't even actually know where I lived. <laughs> and I went to mum. I thought, mum must know where I lived. And uh, mum said, son, I wouldn't have a clue. I was that drunk. I didn't know where we were. <laughs> now, please don't take offence <laughs> for any country music fans out here, Billy Ray Cyrus fans. 
and even my own family, please don't take this to heart. But my family comes from music singers. You would never have guessed it, would you? And so a lot of my upbringing as a little boy was at the backyard with uncles and aunties and all different breeds rocking up. There was all sorts coming, mate. It wasn't chocolates either. And uh, they'd play country music. They'd even set the chairs up. There was one time at my auntie's house, they didn't have a Duncan pool. They had motorbikes. They had push bikes. We'd play cricket in the backyard, computer games, all everything. Whatever was that happening outside, we'd be sitting on the computer games inside listening to Kevin Bloody Wilson. Right? This is, this is hillbilly sort of stuff. This is my background. And so I was brought up around pubs, clubs, bars, parks, rivers. I was brought up everywhere you could imagine outside of a good family life. And so all I seen around myself was drunks and alcoholics. And any time they weren't drunk, there was a disconnect. We didn't connect. And so the thing that ate me up the most as a little boy was I was really good at rugby league. Now, I know there's some Kiwis here. (laughs) All right? Please don't, you know, I'm just talking about Australia right now. I don't want to hear your jokes. (laughs) All right? And when I was eight years old in Ningen spectators from Sydney came down and watched me play rugby league. And they said, this young man has potential. And said to my mum, would you consider moving to Sydney and let him go to a school and be trained up? And my mum chose not to. Now, by the way, just before I keep going, because it's going to get even more hectic, right? (laughs) Just warning you, put your seatbelts on. Um, But I just want to let you know too that me and my mum have a beautiful relationship today. My mum's given me the approval to talk about this and maybe you get to see her in a different light of how much God's brought her through too. I'm not saying this to shame my family. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just telling it as it is. And... um, so I said to mum, I said, oh, who, who told you that they wanted to take me back to Sydney? And she said, again, I was too drunk, I don't remember. <laughs> and, um, but my mum met a gentleman at, when I was about eight, nine years old, and he was in and out of boys' homes all his life, and um, he was also in and out of prison. And this was the time when, in Ningen, I was sexually abused by someone in my extended family for the first time. And then I was left home again with the next door neighbours and they sexually abused me as well. And um, from that point, things started to sort of go downhill from there. So I'd sort of go to the rugby field. I'd play rugby and train all the time because that's what I loved. Just immerse myself in, in the sports. But this, this gentleman was a bit of a psychopath. Uh, I found out recently that he was tied to a clothesline when he was a kid and flogged and his father used to smash his mum up and all this sort of stuff. And so he started doing these things to my mum and so unfortunately he started violently bashing her. Now, the part that scared me the most wasn't the fact that 
he was just bashing mum. It was the way he was doing it. He was a psychopath. He'd grabbed knife. Like I remember one night, mum said, we're outside and we're in the back lane because it was that dark and he had a knife. He was going to stab us. And uh, I don't remember that particular time, but mum told me about it recently. And my nana also, uh, who's here today, praise God. I'll talk about her in a minute. She's awesome. And, uh, but she married. She remarried. And this guy, uh, I remember... Who's heard of Gerald Embone? Exactly. <laughs> That's where Skippy's cousin lives. <laughs> We're at a pub called Gerald Embone. And there was a kid's room and I went with my nana's husband. Now, my nana remarried, so I've got an auntie and an uncle who's younger than me. Well, anyway, we're playing on the pool table and I went up to my uncle and I said, give us a shot on the pool table and he decided that he wanted to play by himself. And so he whinged and I had a shot anyway, but he went and told his father. And the next thing I remember, now you've got to remember I was only, I think, probably nine years old, eight, nine years old. All I remember is him coming out of the door, grabbed the pool cue off the rack and came at me and smashed me to pieces with a pool cue when I was about eight, nine years old. And I mean, he didn't just hit me a couple of times, he bashed me with this pool cue. The saddest thing about that is no one was there to pick me off the floor. I was left there. Then I went into my uncle and I laid in his arms, aching and crippled up, and bawled my eyes out and he done nothing about it either. I'm saying this to get the point across that sometimes abandonment isn't just about your mother and father leaving you. Abandonment is when you're abused in life and no one's there to pick up the mess for you. No one's there to help you in those times. So I learned at a very young age that no one could be trusted, that my survival's all up to me. And so this sort of stuff was happening, like not the pool cue stuff, but violence and arguments... Uh, junkies and ju- drug addicts and criminals all the way through my childhood and so when I went into school I started um, experimenting just before I went to high school with my cousins uh, with aerosol cans now today they call it croning and so they taught me how to crone and I thought well fantastic I'll have a crack at that so I did and uh, people snort coke these days but I was snorting cans <laughs> Oh, okay. Now, <laughs> that was my drug of choice. <laughs> and thank God that I'm alive today because I left my body when I was about 12 years old. My spirit left my body. And I was outside of my body talking to myself, saying, what are you doing down there? And little did I realise that I'd actually died. Isn't God so merciful? And then a mate at school started introducing me to lawnmowers. (laughs) Inhaling petrol out of lawnmowers. You've got to understand, I was from the bush and I did not care. And it did not seem odd. I thought it was just normal, let's have fun. Let's do whatever we can to escape reality. And so I started inhaling petrol and getting buzzed out on petrol. I remember one time I was in at a skating arena and uh, this young guy came up to me and he said, he said, oh man, you've got to crush up eggshells, man. 
<laughs> you've got to crush it up, get, get it right down to powder. It goes, snort it up, man, it gets you high as a kite. <laughs> so I went home, right, as naive as I was, and I crushed it down to fine powder, this eggshell. And then I just woofed it clean up my nose. And I can tell you what happened next. I got a blocked nose and a headache for the next two days. <laughs> so anyone out there thinking about snorting eggshells, don't do it, it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, and this, this sort of started happening. I was just a bit of a rat bag at school. Uh, in other words, I didn't like reading. I didn't like studying. I didn't like being at school. I was an absolute clown. Everything was a joke because that was the way I survived. I didn't want to live life. I just wanted to have fun because all my family having fun. The world owed us something, mate. We're, we're sending link doll bludgers, bro. <laughs> what do you mean I have to go out there and work? <laughs> There's no way I'm going out there to work. They're not working. <laughs> See, and I thought the world owed me something. Poor me, eh? I'll get the world's smallest violin out and I used to play it occasionally like, woe is me. <laughs> And I started smoking marijuana. I think I had my hash, first hash cone when I was about 11 or 12. I don't remember exactly what age it was. And I started smoking marijuana and my uncle was um, growing it and all my family was smoking it. And so we used to go out in the back caravan and smoke cones. And, and I started sort of experimenting with whatever I could and I got introduced to acid, which is LSD. And I liked LSD because it made me feel good as euphoric and it gave me a lot of joy. So I started eating LSD. And then at a very young age, because I started getting very temperamental and I had a bit of a temper on me, um, I started medications called metheril and Largactyl, which are antipsychotic medications. And the reason for this is because there were times in William Street and Broken Hill where I'd had to witness my stepfather punching my mum's face in. Where one time I ran into the room and he's on top of her with a knife up to her throat, saying, I'm going to slice your throat open, you blankety blank. Now, as a little boy, I felt so powerless and so unable to help my mum. He chucked me out of the room and... I was that traumatised by that event that I don't even remember who called the police, I don't know what happened. And I asked mum about it recently and she actually said that she forgot it too. She was so traumatised on the ground that she can't even remember him being on top of her. And so this stuff started happening more regularly and I remember one time mum got a baseball bat and it wasn't to play baseball. <laughs> and I remember because of his episodes, um, we'd locked the house because he already smashed through the side panel one time. So one was sort of red and one was clear because we had to get it replaced. And the house was locked up and we thought it was safe because if we heard anything, you know, obviously he's going to be in the house and we'd hear him break in, but... Unfortunately, he was already in the house. So every time we'd lock up at night, he would actually go up through the manhole. So my stepfather was up in the roof for a week. And something was a bit strange because when we'd walk in, I remember mum saying that her friend said there's a stench in the house and didn't know where it was coming from. So when we'd leave the house, he would come through the manhole 
grab food and go back up into the manhole. My stepfather was a psychopath. He was a paranoid person who thought that my mum was playing up with him all the time. And so this night, he thought it was my mum going to the toilet and he had the manhole, so it's up as you walk into the toilet section. The manhole's open. He's standing over the manhole like this and spits down on my mum's friend. She thinks it's water coming from the ceiling and looks up and sees him standing up there and then he jumps through the manhole after her and all I hear is blood-curdling screams. It's mayhem in the house and next thing you know... Uh, mum's obviously getting bashed again. Now, this is the kind of guy, just for a guy speaking to her, mum got her head kicked in under the car, booted under the car, and that guy got stabbed that night just for talking to her or giving her a kiss on the cheek. So this is the kind of individual that I was hanging out with. And so my upbringing wasn't work in life. My upbringing was, do you like that push bike, son? And I say, yeah, that's nice. He goes, it's yours. So I would go around to his mate's house, criminal mates, and anything that I liked, he'd, he'd just hand it to me. Didn't care who it was. He'd give me shoes, he'd give me push bikes, he'd give me money. And so I, I, I took a liking to him and I thought, this guy's awesome. And it was the only thing that sort of helped me overcome what he'd done to us as a family. But as I, I said that to say this, that I left school and I had to go on medications because I was angry and I was hurting and I was broken and I didn't know what to do with how I felt. So they started me on Meloron Largactyl to the point that I started taking handfuls of it and then I'd go to the doctors and get my own prescription of Valium tablets from the doctor myself. So I'd get 50 to 100 script. Now, <coughs> this, is, this is the interesting part about this is that I'd have my own veil. I had my own container filled full of tablets and I'd walk around just eating them like lollies. I was eating that many tablets that I OD'd how many times I don't know. Mum reckons they're about 10 times but I ended up in seven drug-induced comas. She walked in one day and I was laid out on the floor and I'd taken 100 Valium. My tolerance was so high, even the ambulance said, we don't understand how this young man is still alive. Then I'd get the generic brand, which is diazepam, and I'd eat them as well. And then they'd put me on Fluflamixol injections, hyperperidol injections, Valium injections. And the hyperperidol and the Fluflamixol injections would knock me out for about a month to the point I'd nearly have to have uh, false saliva. And because I'd start acting all spastic and going all kooky because the side effects would wear off, then they'd put me on cogentin tablets. Cogentin tablets were side effect tablets that actually would take off the edge when the medications would wear off. And then I started taking copious amounts of those and started hallucinating. And I was on the street hearing voices, screaming out to people that weren't there. Uh, I think my brother said he walked in the room and I was having a good old chat with the vacuum cleaner. And um, another time I was on the bottom bunk and it was metal and I couldn't understand. I was that far gone. I was trying to ste step up on the bottom bunk to try and get up and couldn't understand why I was banging my head. That's how far I was gone. Another time I was in the lounge room having a good old chat with my mates in the circle, saying, just wait, guys, I'm just going to put the DVD on, and I'm sitting there trying to look at the DVD, and next minute mum comes from the side and goes, Mark! <laughs> and I, I look over, and she goes, who are you talking to? <laughs> and I looked around, there was no one there. I'm like, oh, I thought I had all my mates there. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> Apparently my stepfather caught me down the street, directing traffic. One time I thought I was Jesus. Just want to give you the good news, I wasn't. <laughs> I'm not Jesus, okay? 
I'm Mark Johnston. But, but this, this stuff was sort of happening a fair bit to the point that I, I, I basically from the age of probably 16 to 19, it was Valium to Mazepan, Serapax, Rohypnol tablets, which would knock you out there, sleeping tablets. My mate ripped off a, a chemist in Adelaide and I had boxes full of them and junkies and drug addicts rocking up and we're just eating those like lollies. And I was smoking copious amounts of marijuana and eating acid, shooting um, amphetamines up with acid. I was shooting amphetamines as well. I'd taken mogadons uh, from my uncle and endones from him. And then I'd get prolidones off my other mate because they were like equivalent to six endones in the tablet suppositories. Uh, whichever way, in the ear, through the mouth, uh, whatever, I didn't care. And um, basically, I was also on all different things as far as, you know, anything from methadone, morphine tablets... And I would take anything and everything. The good news about all this is that the God that I didn't know knew me. And the people that disqualified me, he was prepared to qualify me. So what he's seen as foolish to the world, he pulled me out of it to confound the wise and the strong. Now get this. Now, I'm not proud of this, but I want to let you know how bad I was. I ended up nearly cutting halfway through my knife, through my knife. I ended up cutting halfway through my arm with a knife. I sharpened it up for two minutes because my mum said she loved me. That's how broken I was. I was so angry, I'd go outside and metal fences, not wood, metal. The rage in me was so ferocious, I'd swing my arms down like I was fighting someone and ripping my arms on the fence just to get rid of the pain that was in my heart. I remember once I punched the door completely. Uh, there was only a quarter of it left. <laughs> Sorry about that, Mum. Um, there was only a quarter of it left. I punched three quarters of the door off the hinges. And another time I threatened to kill my mum with a knife and she blocked off the whole street. The cops come and shut down the street because I was going to kill her over $25 because I wanted to get marijuana, I told her someone's going to break my legs, which is all a lie. <laughs> Poor mum. <laughs> and the other thing was, another time I, I, I chased her as well, to, and I was going to kill her with a knife another time, and apparently I didn't remember that. But let's just say I was, a, I was a bit on edge. I was a bit of a crazy cat. And I'll tell you what point it got to. It got to the point where I would roam the streets at night by myself like, like a werewolf. <laughs> I was one of these guys you wouldn't want to come across me on the street. I was high, I was unpredictable, and you didn't know what was going to come next out of me. I remember one night we picked up my mate's front windscreen of his car, bashed out. He picked me up and I hopped in the passenger seat, put my leg on the front bonnet, because there was no front windscreen, and we were cruising around, you know, and just dropping people on the street and just bashing people. I had, I had so much hatred. I loved people. I cared for people. But I had so much hatred and pain in me. Someone had to cop it. I tried to kill myself so many times. Wipe myself out completely. The worst day that my mum's ever said she's seen me in is when they tied me down like a wild animal. I was uncontrollable, chucking around a metal bed in the hospital. Porters and coppers couldn't hold me down. I was crazy. I was like that lunatic in the Bible breaking chains. And she said, they just keep coming in like a wild animal, injecting you over and over. And she said, because you're so tense and delirious, she said, the medications finally kicked in and they put you into the seventh drug-induced coma. 
And Dr. Kneebone said to my mum, if your son ever comes back from this, he said he's going to be a permanent vegetable. Because I'd wake up and I'd be like, like I was praying in tongues, you know. <laughs> Maybe that was prophesying, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the Lord was setting it all up, you know. Just preparing me for what was to come. So all I want to say today is, is that God is merciful and God is gracious. I want to tell you a bit about my journey. I'm not going to continue on too much on this side of it, but I want to tell you a bit more. My first introduction to Jesus was my uncle, me and him shooting up speed. This is my uncle. Oh, he was licking the pages. He was high as a kite. He was just rambling on like talking about the races, the horse races, you know what I mean? He was just flicking through the Bible saying, oh, yeah, the Bible says this, mate. And I says this, you know, and I'm like, yeah, 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 it's awesome, mate. It's great, right? And so, I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm just listening to anything. I'm, when you're high, mate, you listen to anything, don't you? When you're in good mood, it's like, yeah, talk about anything. I don't care what you're saying. So I just listened to him. Now, next thing, this same step uncle, they ended up opening up a gym in the town. Now, you've got to understand, I had a skinhead, had a ponytail. I thought I was Tom Poe, the kickboxer, you know, off the movie. Yeah. I was a bit out there. And uh, I went into the gym, and, and, and this same uncle, he looked like he was glowing. He looked like he was high, and I knew drug dealers were in there. And next thing, he goes, come up the back. I sat at the back. He hopped in his seat, closed the door. He goes, Mark, he goes, man, you've got very similar past. And then he opens the Bible again. Now I'm straight this time. I said, no, mate, I, I don't want a bar of what you want to talk about. <laughs> now, this is really odd for this guy because he never backs down. He said, wait there a second. He left the room and next minute this other guy come in. I didn't know him from a bar of soap. He comes into the room sits down, he goes, my name's Judd, what's your name? And I said, Mark. And for the next 30 minutes, I started talking about my life. Now, I've been in atmospheres that are charged with fear and terror, and I've been in atmospheres that are euphoric. But as I started talking to this guy, the power of God came so strong into that room that it was almost like the room disappeared and all I could see was his face. And after I finished talking for Eric in 30 minutes straight, he said, Mark? I said, yeah. He goes, do you know Jesus? I said, no. He goes, this is Aussie. This is a true story. I said, no. He goes, would you like to meet him? I said, I'll give it a go. <laughs> I didn't say mate. I said, I'll give it a go. And that day, you're talking about someone that did not believe, okay? I did not care, I did not believe, and I accepted Jesus Christ into my life from that moment. And I got so high by this encounter, I went home because I wanted to go and tell my whole family about Jesus. <laughs> so I walked through the door, got on my deadly treadly. Now, just for the Kiwis and different people... Uh, if you don't know what a deadly treadley is, it's a push bike, right? So I hopped on my deadly treadley. I didn't have a car back then, nor a license. And I cruised home, didn't have a helmet either. And I cruised home. <laughs> I was spitting. I cruised home, and as I opened the door, I said, Mum, I said, Mum, I said, I said, Jesus, he's real, he's real. <laughs> now you've got to understand the history, right? <laughs> 
Now, mum didn't say, oh, son, God bless you, that's awesome news. She turned around and said, get the effety blank, 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 blank out of my face. You're off your face on drugs again. And then next minute, my sister's in the other room, and I'm like, me and her had punch-ups. Me and my sister had punch-ups. Sorry, I don't know about you if you had arguments with your sisters, but we had fisticuffs. My sister chucked a hammer once from, from the front door of the house and hit me, crack, cracked me fair in the scorn <laughs> from across the road because I went to pay out and it went bang, hit me right in the forehead and nearly knocked me out and then mum gave me a flogging when, when she got home as well. So I got a double whammy. Anyway, that's beside the point. So I'm just giving you a bit of history about my sister and so next minute I turned to my sister and I'm like, I had this love in my heart for her. I'm like, Sandra, Sandra, come on, let's just love each other. <laughs> And she said, oh, brother, I'd love to make up. No, she didn't. She said, get the effety blank, 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 blank out of my room. <laughs> hey? And next minute, her bloke went to jump in. Now, I gave my heart to Jesus not even an hour. And her bloke jumped in because he must have thought I was going a bit loopy. And he went to jump in and had a reaction. I just went boom and picked him up by the throat and threatened to kill the poor bloke. <laughs> And then I punched the glass door in. <laughs> so I'm up the hospital the same day I gave my heart to Jesus. I've still got the smiley sticker there on my hand. The piece of glass went through my hand. I've got stitches. And then long story short, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to go on too much, but let me say it like this. I didn't read the only magazines I read, I think, were Live to Ride, <laughs> People magazines, and I think uh, Dolly Dallas or all that sort of stuff, but <laughs> videos, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're the only videos I watched. I didn't like education. I didn't like reading. I didn't like nothing like that. But when I went to Sydney, because I was strung out, lost weight, had scabs all over me at the age of 19, I was like an old man. This family talked me in and they laid hands on me so many times. That's probably why I'm going a bit bald. But anyway, that's besides the point. (laughs) I was wondering why it's going like that. But this same step uncle (laughs) at the gym, old mate at the gym, Oh, made off his jobs. God uses him in Sydney. He reckons the angels took him to Sydney. He fried himself. And this family's trying to change me. Right? They're saying, come to Bible study group. Come on, come and come to the prayer meeting and come to church. And I'm like, no, nah, I, I know I've got issues, mate, but I'm not going to church. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, I didn't want to go to church. And next minute, this guy, they said, go and talk to him at the sink. I can't say his name. His name's Robert. We'll just say Robert Shuler. So I went to, <laughs> went to the sink. And he turned around and he said, Mark, he said, John 3.3. 3. He said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. He said, John 3.5. He said, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and spirit. And then he quoted John 3.16 to me. He said, God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He said, he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I don't know if you've ever seen the Special K ad, but man, that guy's sitting at the restaurant and they're eating Special K and goes, waiter, what's he having over there? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. I thought, what's this guy got? I want it. And then once again, I had another bike. I hopped on that push bike and rode home. (laughs) I was 20. No, I was 19. (laughs) Didn't have my license still. I got my L's when I was 21. And so I rode home and I thought it was the Book of Palms, right? <laughs> I seriously thought it was the Book of Palms. <laughs> I didn't know biblical hermeneutics, homiletics, I knew nothing. 
And I opened the book and I thought, I just want to know what this guy knows. And as I opened it up, halfway in the middle, uh, Psalms chapter 72, verse 14, I had a face-to-face encounter with the Lord. If I was standing up in your face and breathing in your face, that's exactly how it felt. I felt his face stare at me through the Bible. And he looked at me and I felt his eyes upon my eyes. And it, pay, it didn't jump off the page. The verse didn't, I didn't read and go, oh, wow, God just spoke to me. No, God, the Holy Spirit, directly spoke to me. And I felt him say to me through that verse. I didn't even read it. He read it to me. He said, I'm going to rescue your life from oppression, violence and fraud because precious is your blood in my sight. And I can tell you right now that I picked up that Bible like I picked up no other drug on the face of the planet. And I wish I could tell you some fairy tale gospel that I cleaned up overnight, but I didn't. I ended up getting with a chick early in, the, early in the piece and I'll tell you why. Because I didn't think God would supply a woman for me because I was so mashed up. I thought anything that comes in the church that gives me any form of attention, I'll just go for that and I'll try and work it out myself. So not even six months being saved, I ended up in fornication, right, in a relationship for 10 years, half backslidden, and I had a gorgeous daughter called Grace Louise Fidock. That little girl changed my life, but I was still messed up and I had issues that were unaddressed and unsettled in my life. But in that time, God promised me something. I remember seeing myself in an open vision. I didn't even know I was a preacher. And what Brad just told you about being in front of 15,000 people preaching the gospel, I seen that in an open vision 15 years prior. And there's some people in here even today, you think that God is slack to perform his promise and I can tell you right now he's not. He's going to fulfill promises in your life. There's people here, you're sitting on dreams that feel dead. And it's, all, it's like, God, are you going to bring this to pass? And I can tell you, he always does. If he promised it, he will fulfill it. I preached the gospel and the, what I've seen in an open vision, I've got a photo, me preaching the gospel at Papua New Guinea with 15,000 people and it was exactly as I've seen it in the vision, down to the T. But even though I had a calling and I had a gifting, I had a talent and I had a passion, I had a destiny, I had a purpose. There was also an enemy that wanted to hold me back and there was also my dysfunction that was undoing what God was trying to do in my life. After 10 years, I gave up as a man, I gave up as a Christian and I gave up on the church and I didn't want to do it no more because I thought, God, you got the wrong guy. I can't do it. It's not me. It's for everyone else. And I decided to backslide overnight. And I knew the Bible said the way of the backslider is hard and the backslider in heart is filled with his own ways. And in the past I mixed drugs, but this time I thought instead of mixing drugs, I'm going to get as high as I can, as much as I can and get as fried as I can because if I ever come back to God, I've got nothing else to give but him. And I backslid on the spot. And I got on ice and I sold all my possessions I left the church and I left everything. And I shot up as much as I could. I even shot up MDMA crystals in the toilet and I begged Jesus to keep me in the the body because I knew that to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. And when I shot up that MDMA crystal, I'm telling you, man, it went 10 times lighter and I was begging Jesus, keep me in the body because I knew I wasn't right with him. And I kept going on my way. 
And I ended up at my nana's at the age of 32, fried and lost everything and shot it all up. And I ended up picking up a gambling addiction at the age of 32 and going to brothels and prostitutes. Because I wanted to sin like a bat out of hell. I wanted to be so bad that I had nothing else in this life to pleasure me. But when was that time going to be when God could call me back again? See, I didn't realize that God never left me nor forsook me. And I didn't get that revelation until I forsook him and realized that he was actually in hot pursuit of me. He visited me in the dream. He said, you're a revivalist and I've called you to the poor and to the outcast when I was sinning like a bat out of hell coming from the brothel. He spoke into my ear at my nana's house. He said, I don't want to have to visit you in dreams and visions. The only reason I do is because you don't listen to me through the day. You don't fear me, so I have to come to you at night and speak to you. God was in hot pursuit of me, and I think that's what's happening these days. People think they always have to be in hot pursuit of him, but I can tell you right now, he begun the good work in you. He will bring it to completion. You love him because he first loved you. You did not choose him, he chose you. And we're putting so much pressure upon ourselves instead of placing ourselves at the feet of Jesus and saying, Lord, I can't do this without you. And it even gets worse. I ended up surrendering my life to a wizard. He made a box of my life, how I was going to live and how I was going to die. He'd bash up cupboards as a symbolic message to me and I'd feel what he would do. He'd give me rings and I felt power. And every time I was under drugs, he had control over me, manipulating me. And evil escalated upon my life to the point I started dealing drugs again. And I had people coming to me, one guy in particular. He was owed 16000 for ecstasy. And also he was owed money for speed and, and ice as well. And he said to me, Mark, he said, this is what we're going to do. People owe me money, they owe you money. I've got a plan. I've got Bella Claus, I've got guns. How about we grab the people, put them in body bags, put them in the boot, take them out bush, blow their heads off and chuck them down holes. And right at that moment, it was the last time in my darkest moment that I felt the Lord speak to me. He said, son, do not hurt people. And I said to him, well, how about we come up with a payment option plan? <laughs> See, it's, isn't it good? Centrelink had good reasons in my life. <laughs> Centrelink had payment option plans. So that wisdom kicked in. And so I'm up all night with a piece of paper and a pen I said, look, instead of killing them, how about we threaten to kill them, put them down the hole, put the thing on, put a gun to their head, threaten to kill them, and then that way they think they're going to die, and they say, righto, mate, what can you pay? (laughs) How much can you afford to pay each week? This is a true story. And just before I went into Transformation Ministries, I'm at a mate's house, he's got boxes rocking up, because they get boxes, you know, people get boxes and they take the pseudoephedrine out of them. The guy next door in the unit was actually a, a cook of methamphetamines. And it, while we're inside, he's saying to me, we're going to take the guy hostage, we're going to take him and we're going to force him to cook for us. Now, you've got to understand, I wasn't a talker. And I wasn't, I wasn't in the mood to be playing around. I just knew that I wanted my drugs and I'd do anything to get it. This is all before I came to the Gold Coast. And the day he said, if you're going to come on board with me, he said, don't you ever talk about Jesus again. (laughs) Don't talk about Jesus ever again if you want to step over the line. We're going to deal pounds. We're going to take over the city. We're going to take heaps of drugs. We're going to just run havoc. 
Mum got a phone call from Sydney that biker was going to shoot me. All this stuff was going down. Mum was bedridden three day, three times. She was bedridden with ulcers, thinking I was going to die. And I went home one day. As I was laying there, poor Ashley, I was um, thinking about stealing a PlayStation. <laughs> and as I'm laying there thinking about stealing the PlayStation, my mum comes out, drops to her knees and says, son, I love you. She said, please, will you change your life? You know, the Bible says God, with his gentleness, stoops down to make you great. Yeah, well, the father was in my mum that day with his gentleness saying, son, will you change your life? And in 2011, I entered Transformation Ministries. John Arnett from the Toronto Revival Airport, he invited me over to Toronto. He said, give me six months of your life. He said, the gift and the call of God's all over you, young man. He said, you need fathering. But I went missing. <laughs> I'd done the Harold Holt, some Marine somewhere. I don't know where I went, but I took off again. <laughs> I tried to book a flight to go to Toronto before I entered Transformation Ministries. But the Lord said to me, I've called you to the poor and to the outcast. And I end up in Transformation Ministries. I've done the program in one year and three weeks of rehabilitation and discipleship. Then I became a house supervisor, program coordinator, case manager, and ended up a director. And God has turned my life around. And I can tell you confidently right here, right now, that I have not touched one whiff of alcohol. I do not smoke cigarettes. I do not take medication. I have not been to the brothel. I have not been to the strippers. My life has been completely turned around and transformed. And all the glory goes to him. You know, you might be here this morning and saying, well, you know, it's all good talking about God. It's all good talking about this stuff. But why is the world the way it is? Well, I can tell you Psalms chapter 5 verse 4 says that you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor does evil dwell with you. You know, it says in Psalms chapter 7, verse 11, it says that God is a just judge. And God is angry at the wicked every day. He's not angry at people, he's angry at wickedness every day. It says in Psalms chapter 9, verse 17, it says the wicked shall be turned into hell and every nation that forgets God. It says in Psalms chapter 10, verse 4, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Come on, verse 11 says, He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He'll never see. I want to let you know this morning, if you don't know Jesus, God sees everything. God knows everything about you. And you know, we say, well, why has God allowed all these things? Take God out of the world, the world would still be the same. He's getting blamed for things that he's never done. The Bible says what you sow is what you reap. God's not mocked. The Bible says in Psalms 34, 8, it says, Oh, taste and see and know that the Lord is good. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm letting you know this morning that God is good. And I know how good he is because he didn't die when you're at your best. He died when you're at your worst. That's why Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good news? And I know that, you know, you might have heard that verse, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that the whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
You might have heard that a thousand times. But I can tell you another side of God, that if you believe today, you'll be saved. But Jesus said, if you choose not to believe, it says you stay condemned. So what is the good news of the gospel? The good news of the gospel is, is that, see, the wrath that currently is right now, right, is the wrath of abandonment. It's the handing over to yourself. That's why Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. And you say, well, how has God shown it to us? Well, Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that you are without excuse. You have not got an answer. When you look into creation, you know inherently, deep down in your heart, that there is a Creator and there's nothing else you can do about it. And that's what God is saying. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. They became futile and their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. This morning, if you're alienated, blinded, ostracized, marginalized, and you can't see Jesus, today you can see Him. Today, if you call upon the name of the Lord, I can guarantee you, you will be saved. The Bible says today in Colossians 1.13 that if you believe on him, that he's going to bring you out of darkness into the glorious, magnificent light of the gospel of Christ. (laughs) That's the good news. That's why in 2 Peter 3.9 it says he's not willing that not one person would perish but that every single person would come to repentance. That have a change of mind and direction. The Bible says also in, it says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 about you know, the goodness of God leading you to repentance. Do you despise the goodness and forbearance of God not knowing that it's his goodness that leads you to repentance today? Come on, he's coming to seek and save that which is lost. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you're lost. He didn't come for the self-righteous. He came for sinners to come to repentance. And I know this morning that he's reaching out. I know it says in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1, it says that his right arm is not too short that it cannot save, nor is his ear dull that it cannot hear. I know in Romans 10 it says, if you believe today, come on man, what are you telling me, Mark, if I believe, if I confess Jesus Christ as Lord, are you telling me that I will have a relationship with God? Yes, you will. It's called the good news of the gospel. Paul the Apostle said in Romans 1.16, he said, I'm not ashamed. In the Greek it says, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed, guys. Because I know that the power of God brings salvation today. And I know that he loves you with an everlasting love. I know if you're sitting here this morning, he is not pointing the finger at you. He's pointing it to Jesus because when he's lifted up, you can draw under him.